you been impacted by the book of James? It's been good. It's been really, really challenging uh, for me. And so today is our last uh, week through the book of James. And uh, it's there for you for the rest of your life as a great resource. But it's our last week uh, together in the book of James. Um, man, it, it's tough for me to stand up here and really say anything this morning uh, in light of um, what happened Friday was a, a terrible day, wasn't it? It was a reminder of our brokenness, brokenness all, all around us. And it's a reminder for us of our deep, deep, deep need for restoration of all things that can only come uh, from our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Friday, I was in a coffee shop uh, doing some writing. Um, this pastor came in, a pastor, a friend of mine uh, from central Massachusetts who comes in for different meetings and things into the city and always stops at the coffee shop. And so from time to time, we bump into each other and we've uh, gotten to know each other because he first addressed me when he saw my Bible open on the table, which I guess is a rare thing in Boston. And so he said, there's a Bible. And we started talking and got to know we're both pastors. And we like to talk theology together and kind of talk uh, the deeper things. He's a brilliant man. He's a Harvard-educated and this Friday he came in and he was kind of jittery and I saw him and uh, he saw me and he came up to me and you could tell he just really wanted and needed uh, to talk and he asked if we could you know, sit down and talk about the sovereignty of God. <laughs> and I said, okay, that's fine. And he says, you know, in light of what happened. I, said, I don't know what you're talking about. And he broke uh, the news to me about the shootings in Newtown, Connecticut. Now, obviously, in moments like these, all kinds of questions are raised. And he's wanting to talk about the sovereignty of the Lord. And I'm sitting here just stunned at the news, really with nothing to, to give him. He's looking for feedback. And I'm just thinking about my kids down the road uh, at their, their school. He's waiting for someone to help him kind of make sense of it all because he was on his way to a meeting with somebody who wanted him to make sense of it all, and uh, crazy. And here's kind of where we landed as we talked and just, just kind of chewed on just the, everything. It was just awful. We kind of landed that, you know, in these moments, knowing God is far greater than simply knowing about God. And it's easy for us as theologians to want to sit around and talk about God, but in these moments, we really need to know God. We really got to know him personally. My wife, remember uh, seeing her from afar at college first, you know, seeing her and I kind of knew her name, and it's one thing for me just to ask other people and study her and learn her likes and her interests. Facebook wasn't around then, but if it was, I could stalk her on Facebook and learn all about her. And it's one thing to know about this girl. It's an entirely different thing to, to, to know this girl. And as we read about Jesus walking around on the earth, we see that, that he rebuked those people who stood back to critique him. But he praised those people who drew near to actually touch him. Praised their faith. He, he rebuked the, the G, Jewish theologians, but he, he, he praised those, those people who struggled with keeping the law, but acted out of the desperation that they had in their hearts for somebody to help them in the sin 
uh, that they were in. And so Friday night, I was really, really encouraged by you all who came to my house to, to pray. We could have had a Bible study, talk about God, but instead we had a prayer meeting to, to draw near to God. And that's what we need to do in times like this, these. Is we need to draw near. Now is not the time to wrestle through those things. Now is the time to draw near to him. So last week we began to close out our 10-week study through the book of James. And James really closes with encouragement, which I think is very timely for us. In light of the, the pain and the heartache that we all experience in life, some much more than others, James closes out with, with encouragement. As we have talked about all along the way, James is the oldest of the younger brothers of Jesus, and he is just brutally, brutally honest in this book, and he's calling us to authentic Christianity. He's calling us to faith that's really evidenced by life change. He's really calling out the phonies, because there's a lot of phonies in the church today. Like his brother uh, Jesus, he is harsh with hypocrisy. He's harsh on the the hypocrites, but here at the end of the letter, he kind of changes his tone, and he's talking to the authentic. He's talking to the, the real, and so he moves from condemnation, and he moves right into to consolation, and he's giving us this encouragement to press on, to, to press on in the pain, to press on in the confusion, to, to press on in the opposition that he talks about here. And so last week, we saw, as we began to close out the book, we saw our hope in verses 7 and 8. And this week, he's going to show us our help in verses 9 through 20. And so turn with me there to James chapter 5, we'll start in verse 7. James chapter 5, verse 7 is where we'll be today. And if you need a Bible, you don't have one with you, we have Bibles provided in the seats there. And if you don't have a Bible at home, that one's our gift to you. Take it and break it in. We'd be really glad for you to do that. But James chapter 5, uh, verses 7 through 20 is where we're going to be. And we'll start by reading uh, verses 7 and 8, our, our verses from last week. He says, says this, he says, Be patient, therefore, brothers. Until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits on the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it. Until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And so he calls us, in these verses, as we saw last week, he calls us really to to patience. He calls us to put our hope on the, the coming of the Lord, and Advent means coming. And so this season, we've talked about how we are uh, both celebrating and anticipating, that we're, we're celebrating the first Advent, the first coming of Jesus, the incarnation where God becomes flesh and dwells among us, but we're also anticipating the, the second Advent of Jesus, when he will come, and according to scriptures, as we saw last week in Revelation 19, that he will put an end to the injustice, that he will stop the havoc, and he will bring about restoration. And we know that we desperately need this. That's coming. We hope in that, that second advent. But according to the scriptures also, we know that he is tarrying, that he is, he is delaying his arrival until the whole world, the entire world, has the chance to respond to the good news of Jesus. And so let me give you another passage of scripture 
This is a good one for, for memory. Matthew 24, 14, it says this. Jesus says, And this gospel, the good news of the kingdom, will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And so, as Christians, we hope for that day, and we pursue that day. We try to usher that day in sooner by bringing the news to the entire world, to the nations. And so with this, we are to be patient. He says we're to wait, we're to long for, we're to delight in the fact that he's coming back. He's going to end this craziness that we see and we saw on Friday. Now, the good news is that he doesn't leave us on our own until then. He doesn't say, see you later, I'm coming back, good luck, wait for me, be patient. But he actually provides us help in our waiting. Uh, One week from this coming Tuesday is Christmas Day, and I will be boarding my family of five on to an airplane for a three and a half hour flight. Five people, kids, pray. You saw what happened up here. Just pray, all right? Um, and fast, if you would. I, and I know, um, I know what you're thinking, so don't worry. We already sent a letter to Santa Claus uh, asking him if he wouldn't mind, uh, if it wouldn't be too much of an inconvenience to come one day early. And so I think he agreed. And uh, we had a letter on the mailbox, and uh, he's coming one day early for us on uh, Christmas Eve. Uh, my kids are, are super excited about Christmas. They're also super excited about hopping on a plane and going uh, to Atlanta. But getting there is always really, really tough for us. It's, it's really, really uh, challenging. So our last flight as a family, the whole family, even little Nora, uh, so it wasn't too long ago, our last flight as a family, um, we... Uh, had an, I'll just say, an unidentified potty training child with us. And uh, this potty training child uh, had not one, but two accidents on the plane, on one flight. And so if you can just kind of, this is simple uh, physics here, but if the first one happened at takeoff, and so if the plane is taking off, I just feel really sorry for everybody who was sitting behind us because it was not, it was not good. And uh, he had an accident there, and uh, it was just really, really tough. And so we're we're anticipating uh, it to be a, a kind of a difficult journey. Um, he's potty trained now, uh, but now we have uh, little Nora who is going to be challenging, and a uh, three-and-a-half-hour flight is going to feel like an eternity. She's just a squirmer. Uh, she resists sitting at all costs, and uh, she loves to cry uh, and just bless us in that way. And so as parents, uh, we have the... We have, as, as parents, we've, we've prepared to to get some help, you know, along the way until uh, we get to our final destination. So some things that we have done is we've loaded movies on our smartphones, we've loaded movies on the laptop, we've loaded movies on the iPod, so there's always enough battery to watch something. We've, uh, we're going to be packing um, little baggies full of Cheerios and Fruit Loops and things like that. We have toys that we're, we're bringing, we have her blankie, we're, we're, we're as ready as we possibly uh, can be. And uh, like our last flight with our little man, I just want to tell her, be patient. It's going to be easy. Just, just be patient. You know, when you resist sitting here and just doing what we have for you, when you resist, you know, you're actually making it harder on yourself. But enjoy these, these helps that I've, I've given you to help you make it to the end. And at the end of the flight, it's only going to be noontime on Christmas Day. And so at the end of the flight, we get off and we go have Christmas and we have gifts and it'll be all worth the, the way, I just want to say, be patient, be patient, be patient. Now, for those of you who have 
trusted in, in Jesus, this is true for you as well, that the road to get to eternity can be really, really tough. And know that your resistance in that time to the Lord is only going to make it really harder for you. And so we are to, we're to hope in that reward that we have in store, much like my kids hoping for they're going to get off the plane and they're going to have Christmas gifts and family waiting for them. But we have to be patient. We have to utilize the helps that God has, has given us, the helps that he's provided for us along the way. And, and what I want to do is I want to I look at the helps that he's given us in uh, James 5, 7 through uh, 20. And, uh, you know, from this text, we could just go on and on. We could do a month-long series on prayer. We could do a, a series on unity. We could do all kinds of stuff from this text. But for this time and for the situation that we find ourselves in today, I want to focus on the help, the help that God provides us to get us in this season of waiting for the second coming of the Lord. And so here's our, our first help. Our first help is this. It's our Lord. First help is our Lord, as we saw in uh, verses 7 and 8. It tells us that he's coming back, that, that he's going to be with us. And the very fact that he informed us of the fact that he is coming back is a help, isn't it? Just to know that this isn't it forever. We can know that he's He's coming back, and it's, it's helpful. And so he calls us to establish our hearts on this, fix our hearts, set our hearts on the fact that he's coming again. Set your heart not on graduation. Set your heart not on the day I finally get married. Set your heart not on retirement. Set your heart, establish your heart on the coming of the, the Lord. And then the help that we have with the Lord, too, is that in John chapter 16, verse 7, it, it will tell us that he leads us with a helper, that he leads us with his Spirit. So let me read to you. John 16, 7 says this. It says, Nevertheless, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I, I will send him to you. And so he's speaking of the, the, the third person of the Trinity, the, the Holy Spirit of God who indwells every Christian at the moment that they trust in Jesus, and he is our comforter. The Holy Spirit is a, a source of real power, a source of real strength for us. He is our, our wisdom. He is our convictor of sin, keeping us from going off course in the midst of this journey towards the second advent, keeping us from dangerous territory. And so what we have to do is we have to learn to walk in his spirit. We have to learn to, to live by his spirit, resisting our, our flesh and walking in, in the spirit. And and we know that these are times of trouble. Psalm uh, 46.1 says, God is our refuge and he is our strength. He is a, a very present help in our trouble. And so he's there with us. He doesn't just go away and say, good luck. He says, I'm, I'm here with you. I send you my spirit. And he is help for us in this, this heartache. Not theological explanations about him, but him. Him. Draw near to him, not ideas of him. He is very present. Now let's get into the text for today. Our second help is this. It's our, our family. Our second help is our, our family. It's clear in the scriptures that God doesn't uh, intend for us uh, to, to kind of just show up to church, walk out of church, show up to church, walk out of church, and that's just kind of how we do it. Check in, check out. But he calls us to really live our lives in deep, connected relationships with each other. And I'm just so, so, so encouraged by what God is doing in our new church. From day one, this word that we've used a lot is connect or connected. Uh, we just long and have longed to be a church that is just deeply connected to each other, a deeply connected 
uh, community of believers. I was talking to one of our guys the other day, and he was saying, you know, we used to be a new church, but now I feel like we're, we're not just a new church, we're a family. We just have this, this family atmosphere among us, and I love that, and it's so true. I've never seen a church so deeply connected. And in the New Testament, we hear this language all the time. God tells us that the church is a, is a house. God tells us that he is our father, and if he's our father, that makes us what? Makes us brothers and sisters, right? We're brothers and sisters. And so if you want to call each other brother, you want to call each other Sister Sally, go for it. We're brothers and, and sisters. And so listen to, listen to James chapter 5. Look at verse 9, James 5, 9. He says, says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. It sounds a lot like what I remember hearing from my mother growing up. I mean, just time and time again, she would say something to me and my brother when we were fighting, like, you're brothers. You're supposed to love each other. You're going to need each other someday. Stop fighting. One day it's going to happen, and you're just going to love each other and need each other. And, and, and James is, is, is just coming off of saying the coming of the Lord is at hand. And so he says, so in light of that, it's, he's coming. And, and, and so don't grumble against one another, but your family, your brothers and sisters support each other. You're, you're going to need it. He uses this phrase, one another. You need, to, you need to circle that word. That, that phrase is so important in the New Testament. It's this Greek word, alelon. It's used 40 plus times in, in the New Testament. We did as a church an entire teaching series on the word alelon and just investigated uh, instances in the, the New Testament when this word uh, shows up. And if you want to go back through our sermon archives and listen to that, it's just super, super helpful stuff. It's, it's used to, to call us to uh, love Alelon, love one another, to forgive one another, to be devoted to one another, to care for one another, to admonish one another, to encourage one another, to bear with one another, to not judge one uh, another. On and on and on and on, it's in the scripture. And James is saying, listen, times are tough. Times are really, really hard. And, and, and you're waiting for the Lord. But don't bicker. Be unified in all this. Support one another in the midst of this. And then he reminds us that he is the judge. The reason he reminds us that he is the judge, this is frequent in the book of James. He's frequently saying God is, is judge. And this has kind of been a premise we hear, again, a lot in, in this book, and that really the truth is that we need to live our lives in light of the gospel. All of the practical outworkings of the Christian faith that James really touches on, we're to live our lives in light of the gospel. And so since he is the judge and he is the one who is, has given mercy to us. We're likewise to grant mercy to one another. So there's really no grounds for grumbling. There's really no grounds for uh, dispute that we are to grant mercy and grace towards one another, that we are to give to each other what he has given to us. We live our lives through the gospel. We don't just say yes to the gospel and then live the rest of our Christian faith and try to live it out. No, we live every day in light of the good news of Jesus because it calibrates everything. It is the lens through which we see our lives. And so there's no room, no reason for grumbling for discord. We're going to be unified as a family. And so what we need to do is we need to keep pursuing it. As Paul tells the Thessalonians, I don't have to tell you to love one another, but I'll say this, excel still more. We got to excel still more. You're doing great, but keep doing it. Press on. It's so encouraging for us uh, this morning to have our first 
parent-child dedication to the Lord. And uh, one thing people say uh, to me from time to time is, man, it's so cool. God's really making us a family church. How cool is that, Josh? It's so rare in Boston. You know, Boston is super transient, tons of students, tons of uh, young professionals. And so I, I, I do, I thank God that we have families. It's very, very rare to have families in a church in Boston. But you know what's cooler than being a family church? Being a church family. It's, it's a lot cooler than being a, a family church where a single mom can find support and she can find family. Or the immigrant, many of them in Rosendale, refugees, many of them in Rosendale, can find extended family in the States. Where the transient student, transient young professional who's here to jumpstart a career can find family away from family. That's really, really cool. Where the typical West Boston young family who is here for work and they have a family here, but they don't have any extended family here, we can be that extended family for them. That's cool. We become a church family, not just a a family church. One of the coolest underground ministries that we have going in the church, and I I say underground, um, is, is... what I would call the free child care ministry. It's nothing formal. We don't have policies or anything. We have this free child care ministry where young moms and dads can keep their marriages vibrant by having date nights that they probably could not otherwise afford because we have so many people in our church who are saying, I'll, I'll watch your kid for free. It's awesome. I love that. I love that. And we can provide that for young West Boston families who are transient, who move here, who don't have their parents, the grandparents, to drop the kids off with. It's such a cool ministry. Let's keep pursuing that. Let's be a church family. He calls us to be a family. Don't grumble. In light of this, brothers, your brothers, be family uh, together. Here's our next help that he gives us. He gives us our, our example. He gives us examples. Look at verses 10, 11, and 12 with me. He says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we considered those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. And so what James is doing here is he's reminding us that God, God's given us some examples of people who have endured the hardship that you're enduring. If you're not feeling it right now, you will feel it one day. First, he gives us the example of the prophets. He says there's the prophets. These are Old Testament figures who, who spoke boldly the truth of the Lord. They endured all kinds of suffering, all kinds of persecution, and they did so with patience. Today, those prophets are with the Lord. They were persecuted, beat, killed, thrown in a pit, but now they're, they're with the Lord. Though the second advent hasn't come yet, scriptures say that to be absent from the body means to be present with the Lord. And so they're present with the Lord. He hasn't come back yet and established his kingdom in that way, but they're with him. The second example he gives us is, is Job. We know the story of Job. He suffered greatly, great persecution. But in the end, Job has multiplied blessings, if you know the story. And I think these two examples are unique that he gives us these two different kinds of examples. You have the, the prophets who suffered and were patient, but most of them died without hardly any fruit of their ministry. 
without hardly any physical blessing. On the other hand, you have Job who, who suffered a lot, but yet at the end he had multiplied blessing. And we need to know that our trials will be worth it. Whether we die and on this side of eternity we don't see a lot of blessing from that, or like Job we do. But we know that the greatest blessing is coming, that we're going to see him face to face, and it will be worth it. And then James throws in verse 12. He loves to make it difficult for the people who are going to preach after him. Uh, verse 12, which seems a little out of place, doesn't it? He says, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. And you're like, what, how, does this, how does this fit in? He's saying, listen, be patient, and your patience and your, 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 your waiting on the Lord, your trust in the Lord, it's going to be evidenced by trustworthiness. That you're so certain, you're so certain on the coming of the Lord and that he's going to be just and he's going to be the one to make all things right, that you have no need to be manipulative. You just tell the truth. You just say yes, and that's yes, and no, and that's no. You just be straight up. You, you, you be honest. You be pure and, and honest. You just trust in the Lord, and that way you just be patient and, and you wait. Like the prophets who just told the truth. They just said, here's what it is, and got beat for it, got persecuted for it. So even when it's unpopular, we, we tell the truth, and we just say what is true and trust God. And that's really our trustworthiness is evidence of our, our patience. So man, I just thank God for the examples that he's given us in Scripture. It's so cool how he has pieced these stories together in such a way that it seems like there's some, somebody who's applicable <clears throat> to everything that we go through, huh? I mean, it's so cool to see that. And now, listen. So we talk about reading through the scriptures. Not all of the scripture is just simply intended for good examples and good stories for us. We see in the scriptures it really all points us to Jesus. But yet we do have these great examples of faith and, and perseverance. Here's another help. An, another help that we have is our leaders. Read with me verses 13, 14, and 15. It says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, this speaks to, to leaders. It speaks to, to the elders of the church praying over the sick. But before I even get into that, I do want to point out, as I pointed out last week, uh, verse 13, James says, are you suffering? Then pray. He says, are you cheerful? Then praise. So you are to, to, to be honest. It really kind of connects with, with, with verse 12, doesn't it? You're just to be honest. The last thing we want is, is a church full of phonies, that people just come in and they just kind of fake it and pretend like everything's good. We've all been a part of that kind of church, I'm sure, before. Just kind of show up and fake it until you make it. How you doing, brother? Good, brother. How are you doing, brother? And it's just... We just just trite and just back and forth. It's kind of goofy. So if we can't be honest here with each other, life is hard. How are you doing? Terrible, right? If we can't be honest here, can't really be honest anywhere. So don't pretend to have it all together when you walk in if you don't. We welcome you to be messed up. We welcome you to be hurting. Let people know how you're feeling. Be embraced. Feel free to cry. Feel free to receive comfort. But also, if you're cheerful, be cheerful and, and praise. Don't hide that either. So I think a lot of us think, well, 
person sitting beside me is going through such a difficult time. I can't praise and be cheerful and happy right now because no, what they need is for you to praise and to be cheerful and to be happy. It's testimony to them that better days are ahead, that it's going to get better. I'm singing, and you can sing, and so it's good to laugh. It's good to smile. It's good to sing. It's good to have joy in church. Just be honest. Be who you are and pray for those who need prayer and pray for yourself. Now, 14 and 15, he says this. He says, if you're sick, here's what I want you to do. He says, call for the church elders, the leaders, and ask them to pray over you. Look at me. This is important. God heals people. I don't know what your upbringing denominationally, doctrinally was. God heals people. There is no grounds in the scripture to say, no, he doesn't do that anymore. God heals people people you believe that do you pray for that or do you simply pray well god just just do what you want to do no plead with him heal restore god rid her of this sickness you do so with faith knowing that whatever he does you, you trust him but ask him specific please heal lord so he mentions the the elders anointing with oil and asking for healing. Taking oil, like they did in the Old Testament with the priest, the king, and run it over somebody's head and pray for them. He calls us to do that. Nothing mystical about oil. There's no healing powers in oil. We're not talking about the fountain of youth right now. We're talking about oil. And, and in the scriptures, oil is often symbolic for the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit. He does healing in our, our lives. We call on him to do the, the miraculous. And, and, and he, he will do that as we, we call on him, we trust him, he does what he, he, he wants to do for that, that time. And I know for some of us, this whole anointing with oil thing is just like entirely off of our radar screen. And maybe it'd be helpful for you just to kind of understand it in light of fasting. Like when we fast, when we pray and, and fast, what it does is it displays the seriousness of our prayer we're serious, God, we're pleading with you. I'm focusing on you right now. And then it also really enhances our, our, our prayer. And so do not hesitate to ask us as a church, would somebody take time to anoint me or my friend or my family member with oil and ask for healing, ask for restoration? We would love to do that. Now, God heals, but do the scriptures guarantee healing? The scriptures do not guarantee healing. Can he heal? Yes. Please believe that. He can heal. But it's not guaranteed in scripture. I know at first read through verse 15, if you want to get your eyes there again. <clears throat> at first read through 15, it appears to say, well, the prayer of faith will save the sick. And so if we have enough faith, we'll be healed. Is that promised here? It's not. There's a movement, maybe you've heard of it, called faith healing. You can just go around, and if you have enough faith, you will be healed. Here's a problem with it. Let me just be, like, real straight up, real frank. Here's the problem. Everyone dies. <laughs> so does that mean that as we grow older, our faith diminishes? No. Everyone dies. That means, well, they could have lived till they're a 1,000 if they just had enough faith. We die. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. 
Healing is not guaranteed, even with great faith. And what James is saying when he says, the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Whose prayers? Look at it carefully. Whose prayers is he speaking of? Is he praying that if you pray for your sickness or your family member's sickness, that he's just going to raise him up if you have enough faith? Whose prayers? Is he speaking of the prayers of the elders? He's saying when the prayer of the elder is given, the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Now, is he saying that elders, if they pray with enough faith, then sins or or sicknesses will be healed, guaranteed? No, what he's doing is he's speaking to the spiritual component, the emotional component, spiritual saving, spiritual raising up, spiritual healing, and and, and lifting up the spirit um, within a person. And here's how we know. Look at the second half of the verse. He says, sins will be forgiven. And so this healing and this raising up he's talking about is the spiritual, emotional with, within all of us, not the physical. So we're to call upon the elders, leaders of the church to pray over the sick. And saying we pray and we ask God to bring about physical healing. But at least what's going to happen is there's going to be emotional, spiritual care in that moment. They will leave lifted up, and their spirits lifted up. They will leave encouraged and, and cared for. I'm so grateful for the spiritual leadership that God has put in my life over the course of my life. It's been a great help. I've been lifted up when a pastor has prayed for me or cared for me or an elder has taken time to, to pray for a situation in my own life. It's a, a great gift of God is the leaders that God has put in your life. So we pray. We pray for each other. We call on the elders to pray and to anoint with oil to enhance our prayers and to show the seriousness of our prayers and plead with God to bring about physical healing. But you will at least leave with care and and be lifted up in in spirit. So help from the leaders. Here's our next help. Our mutual care. Now this obviously has some overlap with our family as we looked at already, so I'll be kind of short here. But look with me at verses 16 through 18. He says, Therefore... Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So, our mutual care as we see here, we see that the work of prayer is not really just reserved for pastors. It's not just reserved for, for elders. Who are called priests in the New Testament? We all are. All Christians are. All believers. Ephesians chapter 4, the leaders are called to equip who for the work of the ministry? All believers are to do the, the work of the ministry. And so we confess our sins to who? A priest? No, we, we confess our sins a lay loan to one another. We grow together. We mutually care for each other. And we work out our sins and really deal with them together and we help each other. We're to pray for a lay loan. We're to pray for one another. We're a great help to each other. And so our spiritual care, <clears throat> do not be fooled into thinking that it's just the pastor who can do spiritual care. 
But I, I, I find myself so unbelievably encouraged when I find out somebody met with somebody to help them through something. I don't get remotely jealous of that. I've seen pastors get jealous of that, feel threatened by that. Whoa, whoa, you don't need me? Please, I want you not to need me. I want you to need each other. It's a wonderful thing. That's what we're supposed to do. We are to equip you to do the work of the ministry. Confess sins to one another. Pray for one another. It's a beautiful thing. Spiritual care is not reserved for spiritual leadership. One of our values as a church, if you've been through our devoted church membership class, you know, one of our values as a church is that every member is a minister. Every member is a minister. We're to live like that. It's beautiful when we have what we call shepherding overlap. We're going to be the kind of church that doesn't just let you come in and walk out and never talk to you, never care for you, never call and check up on you. We're going we're to check up on you. Some people say, I can't handle that. I just want a church where I can just check in, check out, feel good about myself. That's not the church. You're fooling yourself. But we love what, they're, what we call spiritual overlap. We're going to call you and check up on you and care for you. And then other people, we're, we're kind of shepherding sideways as well. It's a wonderful thing. And it develops a very healthy church. Do not be the kind of people that just let professionals do the ministry because that's not remotely biblical. Maybe you can look around this room and see somebody who's ministered to you or several who have ministered to you. Even myself as a pastor, as an elder, there are people in this room even this week who have ministered to me, had me over for dinner, cared for me, called me, checked on me. Love that. That's what we're supposed to do. Now, he gives us this example of Elijah, this great miracle worker of the Old Testament. And notice what he does. He says this. He says, Elijah had a nature like ours. So what is James saying here? He's saying this. He's saying, pray. You you pray, and, and, and you put your prayers in the same category as the great miracle worker Elijah, because God can do that. God can heal. God can prevent rain from falling and then make it fall. As we pray, he can do that. It's not just reserved for these spiritual giants of the scriptures. It's not just reserved for pastors. and el- It's reserved, it's for all of us. So pray, he's saying, listen, he has a nature just like us. He's just like you and I. I've gifted him, I've gifted you. You pray. Mutual care. Here's our last one. Accountability, the help of accountability. Man, this is so important. I'm so grateful that we have a church that is living this out. Love this. Look at me at verses 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. You bring someone who's wandering back. You're really showing fruit of your salvation. You have been saved from sin and death. So we have the help of the accountability of the church. Such an important thing. We have people who will go after us as we go astray. And many of us will go astray. And many of you have had somebody come after you. And at first, maybe you resisted. But now you find yourself sitting here and you're grateful that they came after you. Not in condemnation, but with a spirit of of restoration. It's a wonderful thing. I love Matthew 18. We always focus on the 
passage in Matthew 18, 15 through 20 that talks about how to deal with sin and the process through which to do that. I always focus on that, but do you remember that right before that in the same chapter is the, the story of the 99 and the 1? That the shepherd leaves the 99 to go after that one sheep who's gone astray? And we're to do that. We don't say, well, I just got to stay here and take care of it. I guess it's not meant to be. No, you go after them, care for them. And, and that's how we do, we're to really live this out and to, to not let people fall through the cracks, especially in these seasons of difficulty like we're in today when people can easily say, no, this is too much. This is not good. God's not good. We who are strong go after them and, and, and care for them in these seasons. We provide that accountability and that, that care as God calls us to. So I'm really grateful for the helps that he's given us. He's given us first himself. He's given us a church family. He's given us examples in scripture, even examples in our own lives. He's given us spiritual leadership. He's given us mutual care as the church really lives out life as the church. That we care for each other. We pray for each other. We, we confess sins together. We work through the things of the Lord together. We live life together. And we hold each other accountable. We really challenge each other and, and bring people back when they're wandering from the Lord. See, God gives us these things because he knows. He knows that, that it's going to get hard. And it is hard. And many of you know it already. Don't get impatient and resist, but you be patient and you utilize the gifts that he's, he's given us so that we can make it to the very end. And we see him face to face at the second advent. And some of you right now, you're longing so desperately for that to come. Others of you, you're, you're enjoying life, you're living life, it hasn't hit you hard yet. Others of us, Friday just knocked some sense into you. We need a savior, we need restoration. And until that day, we see him face to face. He's given us help. So let's live in it. And let's, let's provide it as well for each other. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for our hope. Because our hope is on nothing but Jesus. God, all the other things that we hope in in this world will completely and utterly fail us and will crumble. And so, God, may we build our lives on the rock, the solid rock of Jesus. And, God, we thank you that we have that hope, but yet you've also given us just real practical help in the midst of our suffering and our trials and tribulation and difficulty. And, God, I pray that we as a people, where we would we would utilize the gifts and we would provide these gifts back to others as we can provide them. God, may we be a people who care for each other. May we increasingly be growing as a family, doing the things that you want us to do. Not being a social club that just get together for parties and check in and say hi from time to time. We would really do the tough, difficult things and challenge each other when we need challenge. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Be honest when it's hard to be honest when we just want to curl up and be quiet. Help us to do this thing as you called us to. And the best way that, that you provided is to live it out in the church. I pray that more people would come and be a part of this family. May we never be an exclusive family. May we be a growing family. As we see in Acts chapter 2, that you would 
add to our number day by day those who are being saved. May we see people saved, not hopping churches. May they come to Jesus. May your church be grown in that way. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.